go. Yeah, season four. Just like it's not updated. It's still on August thirty first. <laughs> but yeah, it's still work. Don't don't mind it. But anyways, it's Will here. Welcome back here to Res Roots. I do want to make quick announcements here. Uh, that we are, uh, well, not me, but we do have students here that are a part of the team. I'm not going to say more, but they do have other responsibilities they got to deal with. And so forgive us as we're not consistent. We don't have a lot of time for us to invest in the in, in the roots. I always wish we could, but, you know, we have uh, a lot of other responsibilities. So be patient with us. I know we're already a week behind with the video, but that's fine. It'll be up. But anyways, welcome back here. And as you can see, the topic for today is going to be on generational trauma. And but I do have a guest here. Um, his name is. It says J Mike here. I don't know who J Mike is. It's me. I like that name. I like that tag. <laughs> or J Man. J Man. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember it got up when I gave you that name. Uh, no. When we talked about. Gossip being shared yep. in gospel, and I was like, Yeah, I had to bar. I drop a bar. Yeah, J Mike. <laughs> now, real quick, how you doing? How's life? Yeah. What do you do? Good. Well, you know, my uh, my radio face. I don't know about this camera, but you know, I'm trying not to be too distracted. I'm just gonna focus here. Yeah. But it's an honor to be on here. This is my first time on Resroots. Yeah, as you say, you know, it's your second time. Is it? Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, that's yeah. right. The great. That was a long time ago. Yeah, was, uh, okay, shame. first one-on-one. Yeah. First roundtable discussion yeah. on Resurrects with my man, yeah. Big Will. My friend. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's right. Okay. Um, yeah, so Josh Manning and here at Indian Bible College, super privileged to be on staff, uh, work in Steel Life, my compadre here. Yeah. Will and I work with the with the men, not the boys, yeah. the men here on yeah. campus. Yeah. And I love, love working with Will. It's one of my... Highlights of being here keeps me here. Yeah. Besides God's call, and uh, teach as well. And yeah, and I do res roots for the second time. Yeah. You know, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think he is. Yeah, no, it's like guys be patient with Manny because he just got out of class. Brain freezes. Yeah, I don't know. He might be like, uh, so be patient with him because he just got done teaching a class. So, but yeah, and. It's been, yeah, it's been, I'm excited to do this with you. So let's jump right in it. Mm -hmm. So to get to for, to, for you guys to understand why I wanted to talk about this topic, um, as you guys know, with Native America, you know, or I think what really kind of, you know, sparked it back up and what really, like, ignited everything is when the, the graves were found, the grave marks were found, and then they were all, they realized these graves were unmarked, and more and more, uh, these graves at the residential schools began to be found, and they kind of just spiked, like it spiked like crazy, and a lot of wounds and a lot of people's uh, past hurt and experiences started kind of the wounds kind of started opening back up and the hurt started getting back up more again. And, um, and you all know, have family too that were 
either survivors or they know survivors or, you know, there's a lot of, you know, trauma that they've experienced with similar stuff like with that. So then one, another one too is uh, Kelly. I was actually supposed to be doing this with Kelly like a long time ago. KJ. Yeah, and KJ. Yeah, so like we were supposed to do it, but I think we did record it, but that was like almost two hours long. And we just scrapped it, but now I think about it now, I was like, we could have just did two parts. It's true. It's true. Yeah. But we know that Sloan no longer here, it's in the clouds. But. Yeah, then not only that too, this is my heart for, you know, I know the same for Manny, this is a heart for Native people and Indigenous people. Yeah. And a part of us here with Student Life, yes, honestly what we do is we help uh, students go, you know, with their daily lives or, you know, whatever traumas or baggage they may be dealing with. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, would do whatever we could to help them yeah. walk alongside them with that. So in this, trauma and counseling kind of it's kind of in our area so we yeah true yeah <laughs> so we it's kind of do this deal. pretty much daily mm-hmm. and throughout the week so mm-hmm. but um, one thing that i was when i was doing a lot of research about this was even and i was kind of like i don't want to say guilty of it but i thought the same way mm-hmm. is that historical trauma and generational trauma were the same thing mm-hmm. I thought they were, you know, well, I thought generational trauma really relates with historical mm-hmm. or, you know, likewise. Which ways, both ways, in both ways, they actually do intertwine together. Mm-hmm. They actually come together. Mm-hmm. But there's actually a huge difference between them if you actually look at the definitions and then kind of understanding the why behind both or the what behind both. Mm-hmm. So a definition that I found from a website, I forgot the name of it, but it's a huge acronym, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it's S-A-M-H-S-A, um, that's the website, their acronym. But historical trauma is cumulative, multi-generational, collective experience of emotional and psychological injury in community communities and descendants. And then another quote that I found from that website is, acute of problems, domestic violence, or alcohol misuse that are not directly linked or to historical trauma, but may be exaggerated by living in a community with unaddressed grief and behavioral health needs. So historical trauma is more focusing on like the group aspect of things. Like like for like yeah, there's another example of like the Americas with the whole, you know, the colonization uh, or those kind of things. That's like more of a group, the group side of things. And then the generational trauma is, there's a definition that I found from American Psychiatric Association. Generational trauma, the intergenerational and unconscious grief from the historical trauma experienced by indigenous peoples is passed from generation to generation due to forced relocation Disposition, there are dispossessions and loss of spiritual practices, language, and cultures. And in other words, too, is uh, like either experiences of abuse and then, you know, 
uh, domestic violence. Uh, what else is there? Drugs, alcohol. Like it's it's all there, and that's mm. those are like uh, as you could say symptoms of generational trauma. So to give you guys just like my own little uh, personal story of this of generational trauma. You know, like for, I think of the time when I came here at IBC, I, you know, grew up with a house of guys that kind of always stuck to themselves. And again, I'm not gonna, I'm not doing this out of like shaming my family or calling them out or anything. It's just how we grew up is the only time we ever communicated emotions or expressions or feelings was through physical fighting. like. If you're mad, let's fight about it. You know, if you're gonna do this, let's fight about it. And I realized like that for me, that was something that was really normal to me. And when I came here at IBC, you know, it was always like fighting and really verbal abusive words to each other. And then coming to IBC, having everyone come up to you and say, how are you doing? You, know, you doing okay well? Like, <laughs> Well, it just, it just shocks you, like, what the heck? Like, like no, stop, don't worry about what I'm doing, man. It's like, we don't, we don't do those kind of things. You know, we don't, we don't talk about it, you know. And I think that's where, you know, as time goes on, you know, like Manning, Manning got to see that, got to see that worst end of me, worst end of me when, you know, I was really at the end of it, like, where it was kind of really, heavy where I was like really trying to fight people and uh, that's where the Holy Spirit really worked and really like showed me that these were patterns and things that I was following and following and it was very humbling but it was also very heartbreaking of how long I was really thinking those things were normal and, and I was reflecting on that you know my grandparents or my grandfather and my dad, it was like a cycle. Because my grandfather did the same thing to my dad, you know, putting a standard on him. And then my dad put a standard on my brothers. And then my brothers put a standard on me. And I would never make those standards. It was the fists, you know, or a belt, or verbal abuse. And that's like, I guess that's like my experience of like generational trauma. But so one thing I wanted to ask you, Manning, is mm -hmm. like, what is your thoughts on generational trauma? And what is like, your perspective on it? Mm -hmm. from, you know, just, from, just to hear from your side. You know? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it because I, I actually hadn't thought about the distinction between historical and generational trauma until you brought it up. And it makes a lot of sense, the whole, like you said, the group dynamic for historical and the personal dynamic you said earlier um, was more the generational. And I, but I think, like, very different background than you, but in a sense, there there is definitely some that I can, I can relate with, even with some of those differences. The historical trauma um, from from my family or my my people group, I don't have that. Um, I am pretty Irish, Scottish, but I don't connect with that. So there's not that that mental emotional affiliation, which probably protects me from some historical trauma that would be there. But I think that the generational one is the one that jumped out to me as I read the definition, and as you and I talked about it. Um, on a personal level, 
you know, my family um, grew up in SoCal, and I'm actually first-generation Christian, so I did grow up in a Christian home. My, my parents uh, trusted Christ later on in life, um, in their 30s, and so they had a totally different life before that. And the crazy thing is I, I never experienced a lot of the, the baggage from that generational trauma that was there for multiple generations on both my parents' side, especially my dad's side. Um, but I, I've heard my dad talk about it in the past, at least. My siblings saw it because they were in the home, like BC, before Christ for my, my parents. So some of the, the same, in fact, it's crazy, as much as we're different, there are some of the same generational trends and trauma due to addiction, um, alcohol. Um, I mean, for, for men especially, the womanizing and... Um, and just a lot of uh, verbal abuse, a lot of those things that, you know, even for me though, that though I am so thankful, like I, I'm so, so thankful for God's transforming work in my, my parents, my dad especially, you know, for all of us, I know there's residual things that are still there even when we come to Christ and that's, that's this refining process. But, but hearing back to when my, my siblings were growing up and how different was their experience with my father especially and um, it's hard for me to connect with that, but I, I know it was there. And so I, I hear the power of, like you said, the cycle that continues for, I mean, like I said, in these areas of addiction and abuse and neglect would have been for multiple generations. And, and ironically, too, this is back in the good old days, you know, like when really, at least for majority society, like white America was better, yeah. maybe than now in some ways. And yet even then, there were these trends of trauma, self-inflicted a lot of times, um, of addiction and abuse. And so in a sense, I can, I can relate with the generational part, even if it's removed by a generation, but I can, yeah, totally connect mm-hmm. um, in, that, in that area at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's, I know that's one thing I was like, I said, it's cool to <coughs> always hear from like, your side of things, your perspective, because like, yeah, that was the other thing. I think that's what maybe it was a good thing that we scrapped uh, the one that me and Kelly did because, like, I'm, for me as a you know as a native, like I always thought it was just natives. You know, mm-hmm. natives are really ones that struggle with generational trauma. You know, it's like, you guys don't know nothing. Like I was like, and that just shows you mm-hmm. again the historical trauma. Yeah, like <laughs> that gives you a good example. Yeah. Like that's what I was. Like I was really. Yeah. You know, traumatized by just the what the historical events that happened, and I was too busy like not really hearing the other side, but mm. I was too busy like hey, you guys were well, we here first. You guys heard us. You did this. You did that. And the crazy thing is about that though is that the like I I read you know I did the history, read the history, learned the history. You know, my grandfather and my dad were, never my grandfather, uh, Horace Hagstall was, you know, the longhouse leader. Mm-hmm. And then my father was passed on to the longhouse, or the longhouse was passed to him. Yeah. And it was crazy because my grandfather was one was saying like, you know, don't do anything, or not don't do anything, but if you wanted to go to church, yeah. you know, not a church, that's that's totally fine, mm-hmm. you know. But then my father, on the other hand, again, I'm not calling my father out, but he was telling me 
like the entitlement was like good or not, he was following your ways. And then, you know, the white van season. <laughs> I'm sorry if that was really offensive. I don't know. The white van? The white <laughs> But there was, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot of missionaries that yeah. come to the rest. Like, it was like, literally, I remember my dad and I were driving, I think it was to the longhouse or we're going to the mountain, just something like that. I was, I know, I was with him in a car and there was a church on Main Street and we were driving by and these people were coming out of the vans and my dad was like, you know, those people, you gotta stay away from them. Right. No explanation. Just, right. He's like, just stay away from them. Right. And the reason why I say that too is because I feel like a lot of Native people like around my age yeah. aren't just told to do stuff just because they're told. Mm-hmm. But really, never really think about like, why did you tell me that? Why did you tell me to stay away from it? Like, did they do something to you or do you just not, are you just mad of um, the what, you know, the color of skin? Are you mad like, is it because what they did or, you know, like, and that's something that always stuck out to me because like my dad really never still did his tag. He never told me why. He just told me to stay away from that. And just being engraved with that, and that yeah, that's literally what I did. I was yeah. saying, you know, I was, and all my friends, my friends were around them. Like, yeah, you gotta stay away from them. Them yeah. people, man. Yeah. Just don't, just stay away. <laughs> you know, so, mm-hmm. so I always uh, thought generational trauma was just natives, but realizing that generational trauma was globally and was like all the ethnic cities in the world they don't want to experience it in some sort of way yeah but uh yeah one I, 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 just in, yeah, on that note it made me think of this like it's almost like this whole idea we talk about discipleship a lot here right yeah. and like modeling is is the way that we share life one of the major ways we share life one of the major ways we disciple and, and make disciples but it's almost like when you're talking about generational trauma, it's almost like negative yeah. or evil, yeah. sinful modeling. And we're making disciples of addicts and abusers and neglectors. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's just who we are at the core as humans. I think it's really interesting that it, it's, the, it's the flip side when we don't model Christ-likeness, we model the flesh and who we are. Like, yeah, that's that's the result. This this trauma that's intergenerational. So I, when you're talking, they they figure out and you know, jumped out. So now I want to ask you too is, and this is something that we talked about mm-hmm. earlier is like where do you see something relating to generational trauma in the Bible? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we had to do our research. We had to do yeah. our <laughs> our uh, inductive inductive Bible yeah. study skills. Yeah. I had to put him to good work, which is really cool. We didn't have, we didn't have not, did not have much time to do this, but um, but fortunately today had a lot of yeah, just time to reflect. And I was I was thankful for DeWill's intentionality. But um, let me just pull up. I got my real Bible over here, but uh, let me put pull up this this fake one. Um, <laughs> really fast. It's like, yeah. not on camera, but no. he's a really big Bible guy. <laughs> it's, it's like so big. It's not no space over here. Bigger Bible and more holy. That's <laughs> good. Uh, first, so in 1 Kings, we, when I were looking for um, yeah, examples of this, like this cycle that he talked about. And, um, and so what came to our minds was, uh, was 1 Kings chapter 16, 
uh, and where Lord kind of directed my my attention was the the king we all know from from the northern kingdom, northern kingdom of Israel, Ahab. You know, big bad Ahab, who married Jezebel. We we know this guy, and and it's very interesting. He wasn't the the beginning of the problems that he brought on himself or his family or his his kingdom. And in uh, verse 29 of 1 Kings 16, it says, Ahab, son of Omri, began to rule over Israel in the 38th year of King Asa's reign in Judah, the southern kingdom. He reigned, Ahab reigned, uh, in Samaria 21 years. Verse 30, but Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him in Israel, the northern kingdom. And as though it were not enough, I love that, the NLT translates it, as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example or model of Jeroboam, by the way, that's six generations before, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in worship of Baal. First Ahab built a temple and, and an altar for Baal in Samaria, then he set up an Asherah pole, he did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel than any of the other kings of Israel before him, which is crazy. And I looked, we were looking together, like, well, we were just kind of astonished with this cycle, like at least six generations that this guy is a result of. And so, and actually, I don't know, we didn't talk about this, but even the Southern kingdom intermixed in here had the same issue, not as bad as the Northern kingdom, but but yeah, it's like, it's intergenerational. And, and we're talking, what, five, six generations back in what, um, what the text says here in terms of this, this um, uh, idolatry, raising up idols like Jeroboam had done six generations before, um, sexual immorality, you know, sleeping around with not just Jewish women, but Gentile women, women that, they were not, that they were not called to even intermarry with at the time. Um, all these different things and you see, you see violence, you see domestic violence, crazy, yeah, right? It brings out that in these stories, like yeah. all these areas of trauma. But you can see, not that it, it doesn't take Ahab out of the equation in terms of he has a responsibility personally, but this guy had a lot of baggage. He had a lot of evil modeling or discipling yeah. in his family. And it even became the historical, when you're talking about this, it reminded me that it became the historical trauma of the Northern Kingdom. Like, this is what they were known for. Like, wow, it is so there. So, yeah, I really, I, I never looked at it like that in the same way. Yeah, because I, I think that's what it's twisted me out too, is reading, reading through this. I was like, dang. And I was listening to it as well. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And then, like, you and then, uh, like, it kind of like what, how, you know, the Lord was like, uh, with uh, with that uh, Jeroboam, read in verse or First Kings fifteen thirty four, where he's like, because again, even mm -hmm. the verses before he talks about, yeah. you know, and these are the kings, but then yeah. he ends off the chapter with this and continues more yeah. later. But yeah. this one stood out to me. He's like, but he did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and followed the example of Jeroboam, continuing the sins that Jeroboam did mm -hmm. or had led. Mm -hmm. Israel to command, yeah. and that's what just has yeah, blows my mind of yeah. like never noticing like again I was too busy thinking of the historical and more of 
my own hurt from right. it and looking at me right. and didn't realize like, oh man, there's a lot, there's a lot of people in the world that, are, that has yeah. faced historical and mm-hmm. generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I think that's, yeah, it's, a, it's clearly a human thing from your story especially and then you see like thousands of years earlier and in Israel, that this is this is a trend. Yeah, this is this is not a new thing. Um, it's interesting too that it would take one generation to begin the traumatic cycle, and in other places, um, like I'm trying to off the top of my head, like um, King Josiah mm-hmm. or Jehoshaphat for Judah, at least, it would take one generation to stop the traumatic experience with that traumatic cycle, which is how can be a, what, what a powerful statement to modeling and influence uh, just one person, one generation, so, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, so then talking about, you know, the generational trauma, we also, we also want to kind of touch on the effects of it. Uh, these are just some of my own little, my own takes of what generational trauma and what I've seen on the reservation and just and anywhere as well. Like, and the first one I do want to talk about was the abuse. Mm. Uh, I kind of had I shared my story in the beginning about how uh, my grandfather set the standard for my dad. Mm. And my dad never met that standard. And the belt, the fist, the boot, whatever it may be. Yeah. And then as my dad got older, the anger, the, you know, the hurt that he experienced from him, you know, from those experiences built up. And then, and the coping mechanism will go down to alcohol, yeah. drugs, because that's where, I guess, you know, there's those sayings that alcohol shows you who you really are. And my dad, you know, as, you know, as a kid, I was at my dad's scary because I've always seen him yell, seen him fight. Seen him, you know, come at me. You know, he's he's six five, so he's a big team and so Yeah, he'd be, yeah, he'd be really scared. <laughs> I want this fight. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> so like, yeah, like I was thinking, you know, he was really angry, you know, and that's how I saw him. And I think for a while, as I was growing up, that's all I asked. That's all. Uh, that's how I ever saw him. It was mm-hmm. just a whole, you know, angry man that attacks stuffed all these emotions in and uh, ran to the bottle. And, but then now as I've you know, progressed and grown in my faith, the alcohol actually showed that he was hurting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what got me emotional on you know, the abuse that he, the abuse that he was getting abused by his dad. He was unaware that he was abusing his kids the same way because it was just so engraved in his head. Like, this is how I was taught, and I'm going to teach you the same way. I mean, we don't know anything different. And the other one, too, that I, uh, it says depression, but I forgot to add uh, grief on there as well. Uh, depression and grief. Um, depression, though, feeling lonely as, you know, I've, being on the reservation, being in the in cities, sometimes people feel alone as well. And it's, you know, I know that from some of my coworkers that even here at Los Caesars, like they, they feel alone, you know. So I was, that's where I was blown away. I was like, we're in the city, bro. Was, 
<laughs> there's meetings there in the city, but somehow they still feel alone. They feel lonely. Mm -hmm. They start getting into their thoughts. They start feeling depressed and whatnot. Yeah. And then going to the reservation side of things, you see, you know, it's very isolated. You know, it's very, very rare things you can do out there. Other than, you know, walking around the res, uh, I can't speak for, like, other tribes, really, for mine. Just, we may have a lot of, a lot of basketball courts. <laughs> yeah, a lot of always, yeah. yeah, a lot of gyms and all that stuff. We can do those things, but sometimes maybe you're not into those things, you know. Or you may be and the honest side of things too is that sometimes even again no no con condemnation here and you're shaming anybody but sometimes even your own native people can make you feel that way like you're not cool enough to play ball with us or you're not cool enough to hang out with us anyways you know what I'm saying what are you doing here like and that that really leads more to the depression side of things and the grief I want to talk about the grief because this one is heavy on my heart and this man knows me and you know experienced a lot of it and being here and I was seeing dealing and you know uh, processing through a lot of grief uh and on the honest side of things, I really disagree with natives saying, don't talk about death. And when I came to that realization of that is when I lost my grandfather. Because it just didn't make sense because my grandpa was telling me, like, it's okay to feel those ways. It's okay to feel those things. And when we're at his funeral and the other person officiating was telling everyone, don't, no tears, or no, no, you know, don't cry. And I was like very angry as a white boy, you tell me I can't cry. And, and then we were taught to not talk about the individual for a whole year. If that doesn't explain itself, then that's where, that's where the huge problem, that's where it really, I feel like that's where it, it really factors a lot of trauma is because when I lost my grandpa, you know, my brothers were struggling a lot with alcohol and drugs. And they were, they were not allowed to talk about those things because when you stuff these emotions and these feelings in, that's, that's what it, you know, the outcome comes to with the coping mechanisms like alcohol and drugs, sexual relationships, mm -hmm. anything that help us not talk about what the grief and the rage and the root of the issue. We don't talk about that. We're saying go do these things, we're gonna do drugs, alcohol, I'm gonna put this mask on, I'm not gonna talk about it. And that's where it just that's where people don't realize is that when you're hurting you end up starting either hurting yourself even more or you end up hurting someone around you or even the people around you. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's why it's so heavy on my heart. I, mean, I totally disagree with that. And everyone that knows me is like, you know, I'll cry in front of you and show no shame. I was like, I just cry a lot in general. So, <laughs> but those things, and I think of, uh, now, uh, Indian horse, hmm. or at the end of the movie, he went to a therapy session 
he had a standing horse about residential schools and whatnot. But the counselor was telling the survivor, have you ever cried before? And for some reason that just, like, well, like, he really thought about it. Because he was like, and the, the counselor was saying like, well, you gotta do it here with us or find a time for you to go out, let it out. Because of that silence, it's killing you. Ooh. And I was like, dang, if that like that explains it all right there. Is when we're quiet, stuff it all in, it builds up, you're hurting, and you don't realize that you're coping by drinking and smoking relationships. And it's just, you know. And then the other one too, going back to it as well, is the anger issues and the bitterness. You see a lot of people, like again, kind of going back to the whole idea of the historical trauma. Mm -hmm. Stay away from those people. You know, are blaming, blame shifting on, you know, you're the reason why I'm this way, and then you're making this you, 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 but not me, me. Mm -hmm. It's always you, it's you, you did this. And, and there were times in my life too where I even had, I had those kind of talks with my mom and dad where I was really blaming them for the reason why I am today. It's like, you could have done better, you could have done this, but then that's another, like an effect of generational traumas, the blame shifting, yeah. yeah. And then the last one is the, the, the rough one is the suicide. You see a lot of that, and especially I know Native America is higher than the natural average of suicides. And that's where like, I, my heart really breaks because, you know, being here at IBC, we have the people around us. We have a community, right? But people out there on the reservations, they don't have that at all. Then the lies in the head start to get the best of them. And, the, the environment they're in, the family environment, maybe there's a lot of abuse, maybe there's a lot of you know, anger issues, maybe there's a lot of you know, drugs and alcohol involved. All of that just builds up and, and people fall into that lie of suicide. And knowing that I have a lot of friends and family that have committed suicide, and that's where it goes back into the grief we don't want to talk about that. And we don't want to talk about why the, the individual committed suicide. It shakes us up to our core, like I know it does. Like I've seen my family and friends, like they're shook by it, but they don't want to like, uh, we're, not, we're told not to talk about it. But then again, the outcome goes back. Drugs, alcohol, any, other, any unhealthy coping mechanisms. Any, anything you want to add to Yeah, that? I appreciate you sharing that so much, Will. I think the, the grief is what jumped out to me, too. It's interesting that that seems to be such a, like a core issue that connects with these other ones that you're talking about. Like These other ones are more symptoms. How I deal with grief has a lot to do with, um, yeah, these symptoms and what, what defines me, uh, what controls me. I was thinking about uh, grief in, in my life or my family as well. Uh, I hadn't thought about this before, but when you were talking, um, 
the fact that it seems like humans, we do a really good job either being defined by grief, like from a human perspective, we either are defined by grief or we deny there is grief. I think in the end, like you were saying, we if we pacify, we try to fly and escape from the grief, it, it will eventually haunt us enough where it comes out. It is going to define us one way or the other. I, I think when I, was, when I was growing up, the biggest grief that I had to walk through was losing my mom to cancer when I was 14. And she had battled cancer for five years, so most of my memory bank of my mom is, like you know, is, is with cancer and very sick and, and even dying. And I remember seeing some of the things that my family did in response to that grief when she did pass eventually. And it was very, it was very much a denial that there is hurt here. She was a Christian, believer in Jesus. We knew where she was. It was almost an extra excuse to deny the hurt and the pain and the loss. And, and I, I wonder, looking back now, there was a lot of, probably a lot of modeling that had happened. We were, we were good, all American people, you know, hard workers, good work ethic. Kind of like, ironically, very similar to what you were taught um, in terms of culturally and ethnically, there was shame in tears. There was shame in being too, um, too impacted by grief. And so in a weird way, you were taught to just suck it up and move on and worry about yourself and keep going. Don't let the, don't let the grief or the, even the rest of the family um, hold you back. You, you do what's best for you. And so it's interesting that, that there was a lot of um, unconscious, I think, modeling and um, cycling of this trauma of not dealing with grief well and denying it was there. But just even in my own life, I, I know, I think certainly it's human nature and my personality, but I think... I watched other people deal with grief by escaping, by avoiding, by denying it was an issue. And as an introvert and somebody that like processes a lot, like I had a lot of dark, a lot of dark thoughts, a lot of depression that came. I didn't know to call it that, but I know that's what it was now. And it's because I, I let the ultimately I let the grief, like you were saying, define me, because I denied it at first, and then I was handling on my own where God really wasn't telling you to deny it, but he was wanting, wanting to define me in the midst of that pain and grief so that I was refined and was made more like him. But I, man, by taking it in my own hands and trying to just avoid it and deny that it was an issue, I really missed out on his goal of grief to bring me close to him. And, but I see that in my family. That was, that was the MO. That was the norm to just get through it, push through it, like you were saying, just pre- almost pretend it wasn't an issue. Um, so yeah, just very interesting. Some of the similarities there, but yeah, it did, yeah it, same same impact with with different um, characteristics. But yeah, really, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. The one thing uh, I wanted to talk about too is when going about to wrap it up here is uh, talking about the tips mm-hmm. to help you heal from generational trauma. Uh, to me, I wasn't really in a plan of life. I feel like it fit in really well. And I'm telling you guys, I have a really open and honest, transparent part of my life. Um, so, like, over the summer, I uh, went home, got to go visit home, and uh, had my son with me the whole time I was there. And 
Uh, we were coming in to the last days of my visit there, and uh, we were spending much time as we can playing basketball in 90 something degree weather outside there. Of course. Humidity too. So. <laughs> I was like, was fine. I was about to pass out. Like, it's not going to go back. We wanted to come back to seven thousand feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was just like crazy. What? Uh, I actually remember though. It was my last night there, and I was really praying and just really processing, like thinking the Lord of the time I had being home and the amount of quality time with Son that I had. Not really having no phones involved or anything. It's just me and him in the moment. And uh, the morning of my flight, I was packing up, finishing my packing. And uh, that's where, you know, seeing the Lord really move. Because uh, my, son's, my son really is, you know, uh, very closed off, you know, he, you know, he's good, like, he'll be happy and stuff. But there we all, I think he's like, you wonder, like, is he okay? Like, and for me, it, as an emotional man, I was like, I'm always gonna push my son's buttons, like, hey, what's going on? Like, you okay? Like, what are you thinking? What's on your mind? I just, me knows I'm doing that alone. I'm not like, tell me. <laughs> he's just, like, he just knows that's who I am. Like, I'm an emotional guy. and. He already knows I cry a lot, so. But anyways, uh, or hugging. And as I was hugging him, he started to feel him breathing harder. And I started to feel the, you know, the lump on his chest, like he's, he's about to cry. And immediately, I was like, Lord, like, let him cry. Just, just let him cry, let him, let him get it out. And I had my son, then after that, my son bursted. And I told him, it's okay, let it out. He's bursting out crying. And the reason why, you know, I shared a lot of tears of joy in that because he's letting those emotions out. You know, he could have been like, hug, all right, yeah. see you when you come back up and dad. You know, he could have been like, you know, quick hug, by and not say anything, but no. It, he allowed himself, I allowed, and I wanted to know that he's okay to cry. And I was holding him, and I was talking in his ears, I just let it out, it's okay. And he was crying, and I was letting him, holding him, and just letting him cry. I wasn't telling him, like, tell me how you're feeling, and I was like, just, was like, just cry. And the reason why I bring that up Again, I'm not shaming my parents at all, but hey, there was times where I was told not to do those things. As a kid, you know, my mom, I remember when she, we, I think we brought her to a treatment or somewhere. We dropped her, we dropped her out somewhere. And, you know, I was, I was crying. <laughs> but she told me, stop. And we were around to see each other. Saying, you know, and do all that, basically, you kind of shut me off, like, don't do that. And same thing with my dad. My dad was, like, you'll be okay. You know, I'm like, don't do that, it's okay. It'll be kind of similar to my mom. 
but not more aggressive. He was just saying, it's okay, it's like, yeah, you don't gotta do all that. Chill, you know. But for me, that all came to my head as soon as my son started crying. And that right there was, I call a cycle breaking moment. It was letting my son know, don't be afraid to cry in front of me. It's like, because I'm, for one, I'm, I'm going to cry with you. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I'll cry with you because, you know, you cry in front of me, I'm going to start crying. <laughs> and, but for one, and for two, is that you can be honest with everything with your tell with you can be honest with me with all things. You don't have to fall into that lie of saying, you know, you're not allowed to show your emotions. You're allowed to free however you want to feel. So, the tips for that, I would say, is allowing yourself to cry. Allowing yourself to release those emotions. You know, in other words, I'm saying, let yourself have a good cry. You know? <laughs> Sometimes that's all we need is a good cry to let these emotions out. And the uh, other tip that I have to, that I actually found very beneficial for me is journaling the experiences I had. has very scary that may sound like, but I journal about all of the, you know, the domestic violence, very detailed, I started journals, all the dumb stuff that I did, and I like, all detailed out. And what I do after I journal those out, I read it a lot to process those and to actually, you know, put that out there. And stop letting me keep it and keep it build up in here, but to allow it to let it come out. And that's why I say I think journaling it because you're helping to get it out of your system, your head, your mind, your heart, your soul. And because you know, that's I call that journal the black book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's literally a yes. black term. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's everything. Yeah. The reason why that too is why I want to journal those things is because you know my whole goal for my journals is to pass those on to my son to help him just uh, not to do the same stuff that I did, but maybe learn a lot of things from the things that I have learned in my life. Mm-hmm that he can maybe apply to his life as well. Because, you know, it's the, the sin, the generational sin is gonna be there. Yeah. And in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna keep him away from all of that, but obviously I'm not the savior. But uh, allowing yourself to, to journal your experiences. And then the third one, what really helped me through all of that was Jesus Christ himself. But, of him taking on those burdens because you know you know the culture they look at him as the white man which is very I think not true at all you know a man Mediterranean Jew you know you know he's probably dark as me <laughs> maybe even darker maybe a little more res you know it's, you know it's literally you know we think of Jesus as this white man's God or you know this white Messiah but really Jesus is the one that actually came down and walked me through that trauma that pain that hurt through his people and through 
his work and because you know we are quick to again going back to historical trauma we're quick to look at that mm-hmm. but we never are quick to actually sit down and listen mm-hmm. to who Jesus really is mm-hmm. Jesus is the one that really loves you for who you are he would be the first to condemn mm-hmm. of what happened in the past then we can question why did he allow it mm-hmm. and that may can come off bad but you know there's a lot of things that God can turn bad into good for his good mm-hmm. it's it's a matter of you as an individual taking off those those classes and you'd say instead of historical trauma mm-hmm. And actually putting on different glasses mm-hmm. to actually look at it differently, yeah. Yeah. because I I was one of those people. Mm-hmm. I was looking at things the wrong way, mm-hmm. and not to belittle anything of what happened with us as Native people, but you do have the option for yourself to actually say, "What can I grow from? How can I heal from this? Mm-hmm. What can I do from this?" Because would be easy in this to point the fingers. Like, it's your fault for why I'm this way. I can't do nothing about it, but in reality, we could do anything about it. We yeah. can do something about it. Yeah. But it's up to you. And that's where I'm saying is that that's where I made that choice to mm. follow him, follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus really showed me who I am in him and who he says I am. And then the love, the faithfulness for sure, and not only that, just the healing that he has brought to me. And all of that he's going back to because I allowed him to. I allowed him to go in those areas of my life. And that's where I seen him really work and move to help me to walk in that forgiveness. Not just for the forgiveness of what happened to Native people, but also the forgiveness of the people that has hurt me. And those are still processed, and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Lord is, what is that verse? Uh, Philippians 1 6. Yeah. He began to go work in mm-hmm. you, will carry on to completion. Yeah. Until the day of Christ. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I just wanted, the reason why I say those things is because I want you guys to know that. Jesus is not the Jesus they portrayed in the past. It's the Jesus I know is the one who loves, the one who cares, the one who is actually willing to come down to meet you where you are and to help you walk you through those feelings. Mm-hmm. And to be really honest with that too, is I remember I was praying to God about all those things and I was very upfront and honest. God wasn't like, oh man, you're angry you know? I was like no man you got a lot going on but no God was like I got you so but apparently you want to add to that I, I hate to add too that's really good I, I I love what you said about the uh, the glasses <clears throat> the glasses though um, when you were talking actually a little earlier and about laid this in my heart but it totally goes right along with what you were saying um, like tips to deal with uh trauma and I love how you set up these these um, cycle breakers right yeah cycle breaking moments um, 
Maybe we'll just get that game. Yeah, go the old white one. Yeah, I'm going to go to the old to the now. Watch out, people. Here we go. So, so I, I'm teaching in James right now, so I was thinking about this today. But it really connects with what you said about the glasses in, um, in James 1.21. I remember, like, James written to Christians who were ethnically Jewish, so they knew trauma, right? I mean, they, they totally knew. I mean, historical for sure. Yeah. Thousands of years especially now New Testament, thousands of historical, thousands of years of historical trauma, clearly generational trauma. These people know trauma. And this is who James is writing to in verse 21 of, cha of chapter one. He says, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. And, and just what you said, I think, I, I really think you're taking my word for it, but I really believe he's saying what you just mentioned. This is a cycle, tra a trauma, um, cycle breaking moments or tip that James is giving because like you said it's it's rejecting it's getting rid of the glasses that would be full of lies and deceit and uh, depression and hopelessness and self-pity and victimhood all these things that we tend to do when we're hurting right when we're grieving when we're in a traumatic experience and by the way sometimes we bring the trauma on ourselves sometimes it's totally undeserved yeah we just experience it right like you were saying but I have the choice now as a believer in Christ, like these Jewish Christians in the face of the trauma, man, I could take those glasses off, the glasses of my lies, the world's lies straight off. So I can reject, he says, lay aside all this wickedness, lay aside those glasses of all those lies, and instead receive with meekness, with humility as a learner, put on the glasses of truth in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of that trauma. And, and I think it, it's really cool. It mentions <clears throat> these glasses that we're supposed to put on after we take off the, 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 the glasses of our lies, the glasses of truth we put on, and it's actually the implanted word. And I think in the context, it seems like he's talking about our identity in Christ. He mentions the word that, that actually made us these precious possessions, his first fruit as believers, it's our new identity. And so the, the, the glasses we're supposed to put on is the truth of who we are and whose we are. Mm -hmm. And right when I'm tempted to just be crippled by the grief, not to ignore it, I'm not denying it, but I'm also not being defined by it. I get rid of the lie that I am defined, I'm made by all these traumatic experiences, historically, generationally, and instead I put the truth of who God says I am on, then it says, which is able to save your souls. So when I do that, I reject, take those lies off and put the truth on, <clears throat> receive that truth. There is salvation. It's like here and now salvation where I would be, man, I'd be crippled. And it's proof my family for generations was crippled by trauma. And so in a sense, like I wasn't, my family wasn't saved from that traumatic experience, the hopelessness that the suffering brings. But he says here, I reject the lies, receive the truth, like you were saying, and then there's salvation here and now so that I actually am saved for the hopelessness of that trauma. That's the trauma, mm. the trauma cycle breaker, another one. I just, I don't know, but as, as I was thinking about earlier, and what you just said is perfect. Like the glasses, yeah, like, yeah, it's awesome. Chills, dude. That's so crazy. good. And, yeah, it's good to yeah. sharing that. It's so good. Yeah, that's, yeah, because that's where it's easily, like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, they look at it that way, and those are okay. We understand if you look at it that way. Yeah, it is bad. It is hurtful. Yeah, totally. It is damaging, mm -hmm. but we can 
turn away from those things and we can heal from those things mm-hmm. with are yeah. yeah but it's a matter of it's up to you you know mm-hmm. and I know that's where the challenge of you know who do we go to for that or anyone yeah but I just want to encourage you the people that I went to with that is um, some leaders or anyone that you may trust mm-hmm. or let alone for me I went to the Lord mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah so I hope this uh, was encouraging for you guys I also want to say thank you again Manning yeah because Rogan went you know, way over time <laughs> yeah there's a lot of I can't pay you but uh, pay you sometimes it happened yeah. <laughs> no I just pay you other yeah. <laughs> pay you with a wicked coffee so <laughs> wicked AZ but uh, yeah I just want to say thank you to Manning and Hope this is encouraging for you, but also hope this encourages uh, the listeners as well as I hope this maybe give you a different idea of generational trauma. So, again, thank you guys for listening, and hope you guys have a good week. Love you.